Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Indian Dream and specifically to Business Munchies. For those of you who don't know, Business Munchies is just an exploration of ideas that Siddharth and I do. It's just the two of us discussing different business ideas or what we think are good ideas, what we think are bad ideas to start a new business. Okay, so to start it off, uh, today was quite interesting because a couple of episodes ago we had had a discussion about nutraceuticals basically what you can do uh, with building a nutraceutical brand in india and uh, then after that episode somebody messaged siddharth they were like hey i'm starting a nutraceutical brand uh, in india and i just want to talk to you about like how we should be doing uh, go to market for this brand and then today we got on a call like four of us siddharth me i'm not going to name him and uh, his co-founder and it was such an interesting discussion like just our idea that somebody is actually on the ground implementing it was really interesting uh, and we had a long chat with them about go to market and then at the end i realized that hey have we somehow suddenly become some kind of weird online consulting business <laughs> without even trying to be uh, maybe this is how we end up making money from the podcast i don't know okay moving on the first idea i have on my list is clout kitchens not cloud kitchens, but cloud ending with a T. Uh, so basically a cloud kitchen, uh, I'm sure everybody knows what a cloud kitchen is. A cloud kitchen is basically when an influencer ties up with a cloud kitchen and launches uh, their own brand of um, food, of delivery food. So an American uh, influencer called Mr. Beast, he recently launched, launched I think like 300 locations of a new brand called Mr. Beast Burgers simultaneously on one day and it kind of broke the internet because there was so much discussion about uh, this new burger brand that uh, Mr. Beast had launched throughout the US and he must have made a shit ton of money because he has tens of millions of followers and even if I say like 10% of them or 5% of them ordered on that first day um, like let's say half a million people ordered um, a $7 burger. Uh, that's still three and a half million dollars. And I think there's a big capacity for something like this in India as well. We are a food obsessed nation and we are a celebrity obsessed nation. Um, and the cloud kitchen infrastructure already exists in India. There are, um, there are companies like Rebel Foods. Uh, there are many other companies in India that are doing cloud kitchens on a large scale. And recently Wendy's they tied up with Rebel Foods to launch, I think, was it 100 stores or 150 stores across India? So the infrastructure exists, um, the influencers are there, and all we have to do is combine the influencers slash the celebrities, whatever, uh, with uh, make a new brand, like, I don't know, like SRK Biryani. Uh, Dude, Zakir Khan Biryani, because Zakir Khan has spoken about uh, Biryani and his love for Biryani so much, right? So it's a natural extension to that. Um, and you're right. I think what we've seen in the recent past is is these influencer brands being extended to different products. So HRX is a great example, right? It went into uh, clothing and gym accessories and stuff like that. It's a Hrithik Roshan. They're doing well over 100 crores in a very short span of time. Yeah, there's this brand called, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Rogan. Uh, wrong, Rongin, wrong, wrong, whatever. Um, it's it's Virat Kohli has some stake in it, but there's a bigger company that does these kind of celebrity brands um, and does all the backend logistics, marketing, all of that. And the celebrity gets to use his brand image to to 
to basically increase the valuation of the business. And now that that person has equity in the business, it works as a win-win. Um, so applying that to food, especially with the fact that, as you said, the infrastructure is already there. It's not like that influencers to go create these cloud kitchens. It could be as simple as a weekly special, right? It's a different kind of biryani and it's only going to happen on in and around Zakir Khan's birthday. Um, that's free marketing for Zakir Khan, for Rebel Foods, you know, so many people. Who the hell is Zakir Khan? Dude, he's a comedian. He's pretty big. Okay. Biryani is like the most popular food in India. And I'm assuming that's the same thing with burgers in the US. Mr. Beast has 50 million subscribers on YouTube. Wow. Okay. I was wrong with the 10 million number. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty big. And there are people like this, like Priyanka Chopra, Shah Rukh Khan, uh, but even influencers, there's so many influencers who can do this kind of thing in India. Yeah. And if you are somebody who knows the food industry and maybe you can find a connect to some influencer, they don't have to be 10 million, but like a million, half a million. Why not start a food brand uh, as long as their image matches with you, the image that you're going for? I say, why not? And this is, uh, you're just applying it to cloud kitchens, which is fresh food. You could technically launch a snack, which is, which has, you know, less perishable issues it can be on the shelf for longer um and and that could be one way to leverage influencer brands i think what we're getting to is these influencers are going to increasingly get involved in hardcore businesses and now is the right time if you want to partner with some of these influencers and give them equity to to launch some of your brands 100 100 percent. influencers are starting to get a lot of power okay um anything more on this or should we move on Dude, um, I know we were going to discuss this later in the episode, but now that we're talking about influencers, I think we should talk about, you know, you wanted to talk about virtual influencers too. And you blew my mind with that link that you shared on the WhatsApp group about this little Michaela. Tell us about what this is. Okay. So little Michaela, um, I, I remember coming across this three, four years ago, um, I think. Anyway, doesn't matter. Little Michaela is not a real person. She is the figment of somebody's imagination, but uh, these are kind of like almost photorealistic uh, renderings of a teenage girl um, and who's going about her life. Like she's like shopping, whatever, whatever. And she became an influencer on Instagram. Got pretty big, like got huge. And now little Michaela and the other brands around little Michaela, uh, they bring in $12 million a year for the agency that is managing little Michaela through advertising um, agreements. Man, I remember when I first saw it, I was just like, wow, this is such a simple concept. And uh, I was just wondering why the hell my wife, uh, who is a designer, why the hell is she not doing this? Uh, I, I gave, I pitched her the idea and she was just like, dude, just leave me alone. But yeah, I think this, I don't know of any of these virtual influencers in, in India, uh, but these, these virtual influencers, they never go get old. They will never rebel against you. They will never do anything. Um, and you just, once you get really good at one, then you can uh, have, uh, you can make another one. You can uh, cross promote across different virtual influencers. I feel like there's so much potential with this. Yeah. And uh, since you shared that link, I've, you know, I've gone on to her Instagram profile. It's Instagram profile. I don't even know uh, how to address, but uh, Lil Michaela has 2.9 million followers and some of the images it's very hard to say this is a virtual sort of you know digital art figment of somebody's imagination some of them look absolutely stunning and real um and and you're right this could be 
this could be applied to different fields altogether right i think lil mikela is focused towards fashion but you could do this with music you could do this with sports you know people uh, these digital influence virtual influencers um, as they're called uh, focused on specific fields uh, yeah i think i think this could be pretty big and and something a lot of younger people who have the kind of digital animation skills and stuff like that can really create these virtual influencers i thought we had discussed this idea before and i just realized where uh, we had discussed this idea before i had put this in our 21 awesome business ideas for 2021 newsletter as well uh, that's why this this idea seems so familiar to me um, i think this is a fantastic idea siddharth like you could make like you mentioned you could make a music focused one you could make a sports focused uh, influencer um, i have a cousin who watches literally every single bloody sport in the world and uh, you could have this virtual influencer who one day is really into manchester united uh, football and the next day he's really into ipl the next day he's really into uh, f1 um, and this virtual influencer is just a sports focused guy uh, or girl and uh, you could do the same thing for music and then you can cross promote across the different ones i think it's a brilliant idea uh, and if you're good at graphic design or animation i think why not in do it in india and and when when you were talking about this i thought about you know how all these football clubs um especially in england have mascots um and you could create a digital virtual mascot to engage with your fans this could be done by companies that depend on loyal fan following um this could be done by sports teams where you know they that digital influencers just talking about the ins in you know what's happening inside the company what's happening inside the club stuff like that um i think a lot more brands should also look into this and see if they can create their own versions yeah i guess if i was if i was a marketing agency for an ipl brand or a kabaddi brand or something like that yeah this is maybe something i would promote uh, i would tell them like hey why don't you try this out okay yeah people who are interested go check out the instagram profile it's l i l m i q u e l a Lil Michaela, it's insane. Anyway, moving on to my pet subject, high-end ice. I've I put this idea on the list weeks ago, and Siddharth always vetoed it because he's just like it's such a stupid idea. But okay, high-end ice. A couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with my brother-in-law, and he was just asking me like, "Hey, what do people in India do when they're drinking high-end whiskey? Because Indians love whiskey. Um, do they?" do they use like good ice with it like where did they get the ice from and that really got me thinking that if i was sitting in a fancy restaurant and uh, they just gave me random ice from some random you know those guys who like put it on their bike and like get it to like the gola wala um if they give me that kind of ice i would be pissed off um if especially if i'm drinking an expensive whiskey so then that got me thinking like isn't there a space to build an ice brand like you, it's it's like a it's a grassroots kind of movement where you build an ice brand and you build a consumer awareness around it like saying that like where, do you know where the ice is coming from your restaurant no you don't uh why don't you ask your restaurant to give you my ice like fancy ice or whatever and i asked my friend who is a restaurant owner and he said uh yeah so we get ice from um, local guys who we trust uh, but he said it's a very fragmented market and he said he asked me like hey are you planning to get into high end ice or something like that uh, because if you are i would be interested in doing that so like on a, i think on a larger picture perspective there's a big opportunity to take fragmented markets of a commodity 
like ice. Ice is a bloody commodity and to, to consolidate it. So just as an example, we recently interviewed the, the founder of Ashoka University. Um, he's also the founder of a company called Jambori. And his first business back in the early 2000s or late 90s was styrofoam. Again, a commodity. But he took a disaggregated market and he consolidated it. I was once talking to a guy in Delhi who took uh, foam and he consolidated that market as well. Foam, like your for your mattresses, etc. Um, so yeah, I think there's a big potential to you know take a disaggregated, fragmented market, uh, consolidated, and build a strong brand around it. I think ice is one of them. I've never heard grassroots movement with high-end ice brand, right? Like the last time I heard grassroots movement, it was either for education or to eradicate polio or something like that. But I can I can get behind this, right? And I can get behind this. One of the biggest things that comes to my mind right now is how alcohol advertisement in India is not is not is is not possible. You legally can't alcohol uh, can't advertise alcohol. What if one of these alcohol companies, one of these you know Stranger and Sons or even the the classic Royal Stag creates its own ice brand and they now have a reason to advertise their ice brand. People did this with water bottle. Kingfisher did this with with mineral water, bottled water, right? You could do the same thing with ice now. Um, and I see your point on high-end ice. I'm I'm an old-fashioned drinker. There's a drink called old-fashioned, but there's a certain kind of ice you need in that drink for it to be traditional and authentic and stuff like that. Um, if, if there are more cocktails like this, I'm not a connoisseur, but if there are more cocktails like this where specific kinds of ice is required, I could see how this, this could work. Uh, my only concern is the perishability of it. So you can't really manufacture it at one place and then distribute. So essentially what you'll have to do is just find local suppliers who have decent quality standard, maybe increase their quality standard a little more and then use them as contract manufacturers to, to do this, right? And it's probably it probably makes sense in the larger cities, uh, the tier ones and maybe the bigger tier twos like Indore, uh, Jaipur, all of these places, but yeah. I mean, I think the point you brought up about uh, the larger alcohol brands or any alcohol brand doing that is is interesting. Yeah, uh, Stranger and Sons Ice. I would totally buy Stranger and Sons Ice. Uh, in fact, I'm planning to buy Stranger and Sons today. Uh, let's move on to the next topic. So, during the lockdown, I took a couple of these online courses as I was looking to learn a couple of new skills and I was curious about a few things and I took these online courses which in hindsight I now know are called cohort-based courses. Now there's been a lot of talk about cohort-based cohort-based courses in education and let me give you some background on what this is. Traditional education is obviously sit in a classroom and you know this is all offline sit in a classroom there's a professor who teaches you and and, and stuff like that. We then move to MOOCs, which was um, which were sort of pre-recorded lectures that you could listen to at any point in time as per your convenience. I think that model never really took off. The next movement that's happening in the edtech space is cohort-based courses, which is basically replicating the classroom environment online. So it's a cohort of 30, 40, 50, 100 people, whatever. And you're talking about a specific topic for four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, depending on on what this is, right? Um, What this does is one, 
you can now do bite-sized education. I only want to know about, I only want to learn something specific to writing. I can go to the best educator in the in this field and if he's taking a cohort based course one or once or twice a year i could sign up for that and be taught by this you know one of the best in the field what that does is one it's life so it's more engaging um, there's a community that can help you learn together so 40 50 100 people um, that learn together the learning outcomes are significantly better to give you some numbers on people who are doing cohort based courses there's a guy called david perel which does rite of passage. He does about $2 million in revenue just on cohort-based courses a year. Even closer to India, like in India, like if you look at like Amit Varma, he's a very big podcaster. He started a cohort-based course early in the year. I think he takes 30 to 40 students per course and he charges around 10,000 rupees per course, per student, sorry. Uh, So that is going to be what, three, four lakhs per course, per, per cohort. And that is uh, 40, 50 lakhs a year. Not that. But you have to have the, the, the big thing with these cohort-based courses, sorry, is that you have to have the student flow. So you either have to have some kind of distribution agreement with somebody or you have to be on a larger platform, uh, which is getting a lot of students, um, or you have to be, uh, uh, you have to have your own audience who's, who's willing to buy it. Because I'll give you an example. My wife has a cohort-based class uh, for gardening. Again, I'm going to advertise my wife here if anybody wants to learn gardening. And uh, she does it on a website called Spacebar. Spacebar is a very new website. And because it's so new, there are very few students who are signing up. Um, And she doesn't have her own, she doesn't have a large audience of her own. Yeah, unless you have one of these things, like the economics, like you end up spending a lot more time on it than how much you're earning. What I was thinking of from an idea perspective, and this is what Abhinav Chikara is doing really well at 10K Designers, is do cohort-based courses for employable skills. The biggest problem in the education sector in India, college, right, is the fact that a lot of these students are not employable because they don't have any hard skills. They are being, they're still being taught, you know, mechanical engineering and civics, uh, civil engineering, which uh, not a lot of jobs there. What Abhinav is doing is saying that if you want to build a career in UI UX design, take this six week or 12 week cohort based program, wherein I will teach you how to think about this, how to create these designs. What does it, what is it like to actually do this at a startup? Cause he's been at one and he's headed design there. Um, and you could apply this to so many different things. There are cohort based courses in coding that are already sort of happening. There are cohort based courses in designing that are happening so many more employable skills um, and even even things like personal finance right i for me uh 10 years ago there was there was no place to go to really understand personal finance really well what if you do a four-week course where you give them the basics of personal finance help them understand how to think through a bunch of things and these the community of 40, 50 people, that's an underrated fact of cohort-based courses, is this community then is works together for you know years to come where they can help each other out, help each other out, right? So these are people who are interested in personal finance, they've learned the same things and they can help each other out over a period of time. So I mean I took the writing course by Amit Varma and now I'm part of that writing community. And it's super interesting and it's great to be connected to so many people. So you're right, the community aspect is also huge. Uh, by the way, on the employable side, you also, employable courses, you also have Stoa School, 
which is started by that guy Raj something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which is doing very well right now. They've even got funding from uh, some VCs as well. So there's a lot of opportunity in this field. But again, I'm going to come down to the fact that how are you getting your distribution? How are you getting I the think, students? I think, I think as it stands today, um, you have to sort of build your own audience. And the way I would start doing that is if you think you have a unique topic to take to the world and and don't let sort of imposter syndrome get to it. I, if you have unique skill sets, start talking about it online on one of the platforms that you choose, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever. Start building a following there and then convert that into, into audience for your cohort-based courses. Yeah. So this is some advice that somebody had given me about six to nine months ago. Um, is that, yeah, do, if you want to start your own company, just the first thing you need to do is build a community. And then after that, whatever the hell you want to do, you can do it. So, I mean, that's what we ended up doing with the Indian dream purely out of, I wouldn't say luck, but yeah, just by chance, we ended up doing this. Uh, and then I spoke to the same guy recently and he was like, okay, cool. So you did this now, uh, make some communities for some other subjects as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what you're saying is totally right. Uh, my wife is making a community around gardening because she wants to eventually, you know, do something around that. But okay, so Siddharth, so answer this question for me, sorry. Let's say you don't have a community. Let's say you want to start something now, but let's say you're really good at personal finance. How are you going to go ahead and, yeah, how, how, how are you going to start that cohort-based course? Are you going to host it on some platform? Will you go to Udemy uh, or are there some other platforms? Like, how would you do that? So... Because this is not pre-recorded, what a lot of people are doing is just taking off-the-shelf tools like Zoom and uh, community builders like Circle and Tribe.so and stuff like that to piece it all together. But given the action that this space has seen in the last couple of years, there are companies in the US, the, the co-founder of Udemy has gone on and started a new company which does the platform for these cohort-based educators, uh, right? So he's building the platform that can allow people to conduct these cohort-based courses and do the community building there and stuff like that. So it's going to evolve in a year or two. Um, it's not a thing where the time has come and already passed. It's at the very initial stages of it, right? So even if you start today, you can convert that into a cohort-based course a year, two years down the line. And because this is direct to student and you can, you know, charge a decent amount of it, there's no middleman taking cuts. It's pretty, pretty lucrative also. Yeah. 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 I'm still going to come back to the fact that uh, I need to see that student flow. Um, yeah. If, if I were doing it, so for the other, to answer your question, if I was doing something uh, around personal finance, which I am, by the way, I'm trying to write as much as I've learned over the last few years about personal finance to make a, you know, quick ebook out of it or a course out of it. But the way I would do it, because I don't have an online following of my own is go share this material with some of the people who, who are interested in personal finance and tell them to just take a look and see if this is off, like this is, this matches their standards and then ask them to, to share it with their audience, right? You, it might work, might not work, but if, if your effort is genuine and if you're not charging a bomb for it, um, I think some of these people might be able to help. The other thing that can help, by the way, is start giving out free content. Uh, free content can get you, if it's good, free content can get you a lot of followers, which can eventually be converted into a course. Okay. Should we move on or anything more yeah. on this topic? 
no i think i think uh, yeah just if you have unique skill sets especially if it can teach people to be employable i think there's a huge market for you to go out and build um, cohort based courses okay moving on um so sahil last episode or last to last episode i think um you spoke about this pricing newsletter and i had to go check it out like it was it sounded so nerdy um and so fascinating that i said that i'm going to go out and read this newsletter so good better best um is is what the newsletter is called if i'm not wrong um and i re- re- and i read that pricing post that you were talking about apart from the skin in the game pricing the other thing that caught my attention was transparent pricing right wherein uh you have complete visibility to how you're pricing these goods with your consumers and the bis- biggest example of that is this billion dollar company in the US called Metro Mile which you know in when you listen to the idea is going to sound so obvious and so common sense right uh they do car insurance basis how much do you drive your car at what speed at what how do you apply the brakes stuff like that a bunch of variables so if you are not driving your car too much your your premiums are going to be lesser if you're driving your car a lot and if you're driving it rash and beyond the speed limits and stuff like that your premiums are going to be higher they do this by putting an equipment in the car an iot based device yeah an iot based device in the car right and that got me thinking where else can you apply something like this transparent pricing um and create a market which is different a create a pricing model which is different from the existing ones first of all just sticking on what metromile is doing for just two minutes um that iot based device itself has so much potential because you are uh, once you start collecting the information from the car there's so much you can do you can do preventive maintenance you can uh, start giving other services to your uh, client as well i think that that device itself that turns your car into like a smart car or whatever <laughs> not the bmw smart car but i think that product itself has so much potential that product and then the services that are born because of that product uh because in india there's still not that many cars like you would find like a tesla or something like that which which produces all this data a lot of cars in india are still very uh, analog that device is i think i i, I want to research more about that device okay uh, going back to the pricing thing basically basically it's a high value item um that you don't use very often right that's the whole point with metromile is that uh, a car is a high value item therefore you want to insure it uh, and and uh, a car ends up staying in your garage 95% of your time what other high value item just lies around the first thing that comes to mind is jewelry i have never heard my mother talk about jewelry insurance but that must exist in india um i just did some googling and i found that there are jewelry insurers in india but i've never heard my mother talk about it i've never heard my anybody any of my female friends talk about jewelry insurance that in itself is a category that i think that can become pretty big in india considering how many people in india have jewelry but talking about transparent pricing now you buy the jewelry you wear jewelry very rarely like you'll wear like this expensive jewelry like maybe once a year or something like that most of the time it is going it just lies around in your bloody uh, that locker box in the bank right that's where like people put their jewelry so why not just create like a very safe environment to keep the jewelry and you just charge the person every time they want to take it out otherwise you can just keep it there for free so you're you're charging the insurance premium only when it's out of that secured box or maybe there's a really really low base price 
really low base price that's helping cover the uh, the land or whatever but anything more than that is just you're just charging them when they want to take it out that's it yeah only when you have to go to that really fancy wedding like mrs sharma's beti ka wedding you have to go and you have to show off only then will you take it out but other than that most of the time it's just safe in a locker box interesting man yeah that is so interesting i've never thought about it as that i my whole thing about jewelry is it's better kept inside the locker cuz the stress that it gives you when it's outside is not worth it um at least in my mind uh, obviously people who wear it might beg to differ and especially when you're traveling uh women uh, they just use imitation jewelry now like real jewelry is very rare for for destination weddings exactly exactly uh what i was thinking about and and this is a natural extension to that right given how much variables have come into our society and how common they are uh with our watches now having devices that can measure your heart rate and steps and all of that what if there was a health insurance uh and i'm assuming there probably is one already in the us because they are far ahead in in things like this but what if there's a health insurance that is basis the workouts that you do or you know how many steps you take and the heart rate and stuff like that all the variables that are captured through that wearable device if you take all of that into account the more you work out the lesser premium you pay um i think that could be that could be something that could work out yeah so i was just googling that and yeah there are a lot of articles online about wearables and uh, and health insurance um and i think alphabet is working on it uh, right now um and i think yeah apple watch also you know like how apple watch warns you when you're about to fall or something like that so it is a big business that's uh, coming up um i think people are still working on it uh, but at least i was not able to find a company that's using it but uh, it's definitely something uh, that's happening uh, maybe like these variable companies like apple watch or whatever sells the data or uh, or apple comes up with this who on health insurance i can see how this will create a lot of data privacy conversations and issues and what not uh, but i do think i think 10 years down the line 15 years down the line i think we are going to be paying insurance basis those wearable datas so i'm just thinking what else is expensive and just lies around most of the time uh, and you can't afford to not insure it i'm just like is there anything else that comes to mind okay for what else would like a paper use model work sas sas yeah man like it's paper use and transparent pricing is is made for sas i'm i'm so sick of like every single sas product i use like i really like it during the trial period and then they're like oh you yeah, have now please pay 10 dollars or 15 dollars like i'm not a power user why the hell am i going to pay 10 dollars for this man yeah 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 i i i don't know which tool were we using the other day where we said hey we'll do it like if it was a one time fee of like a couple of dollars we'd happily pay it but like 20 dollars a month when i'm going to be using it just once doesn't make any sense i'm so sick of the subscription model with sas and uh, yeah i think this kind of pricing uh, where it this would be basically a counter positioning right like to say like all these other sas people are doing this but now i am doing this so i'm i'm giving you a paper use uh, this thing and actually very recently there was a legal uh, legal documents company a legal document management company uh, in india that it messaged me they just emailed me this morning as well it's called what is it called the legal capsule yeah so they have a saas based model okay they uh, you can pay i think 1000 rupees or 10000 rupees or whatever a month uh, for like it helps you with your legal documents 
But if you are not a power user, if you just want a couple of NDAs signed and you want to keep track of that shit, it's just like, I think it was $30, 30 rupees or 300 rupees per document. And it made so much sense. I was like, okay, I will at least talk to these people. Otherwise, I would never, ever talk to something. Like, I'm so sick of SaaS products. Anyway, that's, that's it. Sorry, this reminds me of a tweet that I read the other day. There was a tweet that I read uh, by a guy called Michael Girdley. He's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. He said, why not start a company that's, it's very simply a micro SaaS company, just a small niche SaaS company that makes NDAs um, all in one format. Like standardized, it, standardized yeah, standardized NDAs. Just standardized NDAs. I'm so sick of reading NDAs. Um, everybody has a different format and you have to constantly like, you, you have to read the whole thing just to make sure that there's nothing shitty in there. I agree. Um, right off, I, I think this could work, right? Uh, just maybe have like four, five, ten different kinds of NDAs depending on use cases and and put like some sort of a logo or some sort of a watermark which says that, hey, this is... Uh, XYZ companies NDA, right? Uh, and you know, you know, then there is standardized, so people don't have to keep reading it because you're right. Uh, there's so many times the the opposition, like the the counterparty, is just going to slide in some sort of random, uh, you know, clause in it, wherein it says that if if you've heard this idea and if your long lost relative ends up doing that idea, you're responsible. Because, you know, like stuff like that is just doesn't make sense. And I think there should be standardized NDAs for sure. Yeah, I definitely think there's a case to make like a niche, like a small SaaS company just doing standardized NDAs. Uh, you make it once and you just basically forget about it and just let the business go. Because how often are the legal, the laws around NDAs going to change? Not very often. Anyways, that small idea to end the, to end the conversation. Um, and actually, sorry, this is something that can be global. You can have an NDA India, a SaaS company can have an NDA thing for the US, you can have an NDA thing for the UK, for Australia. Localize it also, different languages and stuff, right? So yeah, yeah. I it, mean, it's, it's a one-time effort. Yeah, if you can speak French, then go for it. Then uh, let's end the episode. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Another request, please rate us on Apple. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on any of the platforms that you're using. It's going to help you. It's going to notify whenever we put out an episode and it's going to add to our motivation to keep doing this. And it's also going to help distribute the episode to more people because if you rate us, if you subscribe to us, then Spotify will recommend it to more people. So please go ahead and subscribe and rate us. Thank you so much. Thank for you so much.